Today's show is brought to you by Granulate, an Intel company, and their new offering, G Maestro. G Maestro allows you to reduce your Kubernetes costs by up to 60% with autonomous, continuous workload and pod right sizing. With G Maestro, you gain full visibility into your Kubernetes clusters and eliminate over-provisioning without compromising performance or affecting your competitive SLAs. G Maestro can be installed with a single line of code and provides visibility into inefficiencies within your Kubernetes clusters. Users can automatically apply HPA, CPU, and memory request changes that can be employed to save up to 60% on compute costs. And the best part, it's absolutely free. Try GMaestro yourself at granulate.io slash GMaestro to begin optimizing your Kubernetes today. That's granulate.io slash GMaestro to begin optimizing your Kubernetes today. Cloudcast Media presents, from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is The Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome back to The Cloudcast. We're coming to you live from our massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. And as I record this, it is the middle of August, and we've got some really good cloud news this week. I want to jump straight into that before we get to our main interview coming up after the break. So for our first article, we actually have um, here in the United States uh, a good bit of news. Um, the Chips and Science Act was signed into law, and... What is that, you may ask? Well, we have to step back for a second and maybe do a quick explanation. The semiconductor industry, it's no secret, there is a shortage worldwide uh, in semiconductors. Lots of supply chain issues, uh, pretty much every sector is seeing this impact in some way. And the United States arguably pioneered and, and was early innovator in chip production and design but over time has lost dominance, especially in the fab, the assembly plants to China. And we have a shortage. That means we need to build more fabs. And the United States does not want those fab plants built in China. So they got together and actually put together a bipartisan deal, which, I mean, let's admit is a bit rare these days. But they got it together and uh, it was a good outcome. And hopefully we will see some new fab plants built in the upcoming years uh, over... Gosh, $280 billion is the total package with $50 billion in funding specifically for manufacturing. If I move on to our second news article, the second news article uh, could be summarized in, don't trust Google. And I said that jokingly, but I mean, it's a running joke in tech. If you come to rely on a Google service and it's not Gmail or the Office Suite, you can pretty much say at some point it may or may not go away. I mean, it's happened many times in the past. And this week, the Google Cloud IoT sent out notice uh, that they're going to be shutting down. Now, they did give a one-year notice uh, to migrate off to an alternate service. But to put it mildly, the internet is mad. Um, and, you know, it's rare to see the big three shut down a service and something uh, as high profile as this as well. Moving on to our third article. The third article I'm not going to talk too much about because honestly, I just, at first I thought it was a joke. But uh, the, the WeWork founders, uh, you know, that basically flamed out hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, 
Well, they're back at it. And Mark Andreessen uh, actually decided to invest in them and set, put out a separate article about it. And it was widely panned in the industry. And, you know, I, I'll just say personally, the fact that um, this guy can get money again and you, you look at some of uh, A16Z's, uh, you know, investments here recently, it really makes you start to wonder. Um, and I did see a tweet, I forget who it's from, I apologize, but there was a bit of, you know, they spent years building up a great reputation and they have just destroyed it here recently. So, I mean, call it what it will, maybe it'll be successful, but, uh, on the, on the top of it, it just does not look like a good investment. And lastly, we're going to talk about working from home. You know, we've seen some changes, some articles, and we've talked about it here and there, but it looks like Apple is uh, going to be setting uh, a, in September, because they've delayed this a couple times now, uh, three days a week in the office for all employees, at least near the headquarters, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and one other day, you know, kind of determined by your team. And Again, probably no surprise that they're leading the charge here. First of all, they probably have one of the nicest and most expensive headquarters in the entire world. And it's, for the most part, sitting there pretty empty. Uh, so, you know, that investment is not doing well. And there's always the, you know, the sea levels and, and whatnot. They like folks in the office. And Apple is notoriously secret as a company as well. And a lot of those protocols uh, really depend on in office. So will it be a trend? Will we start to see more companies asking for return to the office? Don't know. Can't say. But I, I can say this is a not surprising first step. So with that, I'm going to wrap up Cloud News of the Week. And coming up after the break, we're going to be talking about zero config VPNs. Today's sponsor is Datadog, a real-time monitoring platform that unifies metrics, logs, and distributed traces from your cloud containers and orchestration software. Datadog's container-centric monitoring features allow you to track the health and performance of your dynamic container environment. The container map provides a bird's-eye view of your container fleet, and the live container view searches, groups, and filters your containers with any criteria, like tags, pods, or workspaces. To start monitoring your container clusters, sign up for a free trial today. And Datadog will send you a free t-shirt. Visit datadog.com slash container dash cloudcast to get started. That's datadog.com slash container dash cloudcast. Today's show is sponsored by Lightstep Incident Response. Built on the ServiceNow platform used by over 6,000 companies worldwide. Lightstep Incident Response allows you to scale your incident response team without adding to your monthly bill. With intelligent on-call scheduling and escalations, you get the full context of your service health. Lightstep Incident Response immediately pinpoints issues and uses machine learning to send group text, reducing your time to respond. And you can seamlessly orchestrate alert and incident triage with on-call scheduling across Slack, Teams, Zoom, desktop, and mobile. So get started today with a free 30-day trial of Lightstep Incident Response by visiting lightstep.com cloudcast. That's lightstep.com cloudcast. And get a free t-shirt after your first alert or incident. And we're back. And folks, you know, one of the things that we're always trying to figure out, especially 
uh, now with the pandemic that we're all working differently and we're, you know, we're working in different places, we're building applications differently, sort of everything about how we interact, where we interact, the applications we interact with has, has changed quite a bit, you know, just kind of accelerated over the last couple of years. And oftentimes that means that the things that we were used to using, uh, that we got used to using, that uh, IT teams put in place, um, a lot of those things are having to change and they've changed over the last couple of years. And um, one of the things that's really kind of evolved in this space, and, and this is a, not only a technology, but a, but a company that we're really interested in because we've been hearing so, so much uh, good things out of, uh, is a company called Tails. Uh, Tailscale. Uh, I'm going to get that wrong a couple of times, but uh, Tailscale. And really excited to have um, head of product, uh, Maya Kaczorowski. Um Maya, welcome to the show. Great to have you on. Thank you so much. Great to be here. You have uh, a really interesting background, uh, a background that um, involves a lot about keeping very important systems safe and secure and so forth. Give us a little bit of your background before we dive into what Tailscale does and, and all the ways that you guys are are making life easier for security people. But uh, yeah, give us a little bit of your background. Yeah, I'm a product manager. Um, I've been involved in uh, enterprise security, primarily infrastructure security, which I guess is what you're, you're getting at uh, yeah. for, for several years now. Uh, started off at uh, Google, Google Cloud, working on encryption, encryption key management, then worked on Kubernetes security there, uh, hopped over to GitHub to work on supply chain security, and then uh, came over here to Tailscale. And, you know, network security, infrastructure security, Tailscale fits fits many boxes. So lots of interesting interesting product questions over here as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. And stuff, a lot of the, you've, you've been sort of deep in the weeds on a lot of stuff that we've talked about for years, whether it was you know, containers and how to secure containers and the things that went in them and software supply chain. And um, mm-hmm. I, I, I want to start with, and, and this is going to sound sort of weird, but a little bit of praise and a little bit of um, sort of confusion on my part. So whenever, <laughs> whenever I would, uh, you know, a lot of times we're looking for new topics, what's interesting, what's, what are people interested in? I kept seeing tail scale pop up and it was always just sort of glowing praise. People would just be like, I love the product. I use it. It's super simple. And, you know, as we would dig into it a little bit, it was like, okay, to a certain extent, this is like VPNs. And, you know, I thought people were getting rid of VPNs. I thought we were kind of in this world of like, we don't have perimeters anymore. Like, help me, help me understand the the, the tail scale story. Because um, anytime we see, you know, especially really, really well-known people just gushing over technology, especially security technology, um, it it makes us go, okay, what's, what's something, something interesting is going on here. So give us the, you know, p- paint a picture for us. Why do people love it so much? And, and, and where does it fit into the VPNs? Cause we've all used them forever, but you know, rarely were people like, I love my VPN. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think the first question or you were kind of asking, which is what, what is tail scale, right? Or what does it do? Yeah. Um, it, it is, it is a VPN. I think the, 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 best descriptor I have that already requires a lot of context and sometimes is a is a mesh VPN. So you can mesh multiple of your devices together and they can connect directly peer-to-peer in a private network. Um, yeah. Where this gets confusing is if some of those words aren't, you know, things you're super familiar with, you know, Tailscale is not like a privacy VPN. It's not trying to um, protect you from your ISP and, you know, it, you could use it that way, but that's not the intent of what you're trying to do if you're using if you're using Tailscale. You're trying to connect multiple of your devices together. They might be on the same network. They might be on different networks, et cetera. Um, your, your other kind of question, uh, well, you had two other questions. One was like, why do people love it? Um, and I think, I think that is, that is a great question. Uh, and one I have to give, you know, a lot of credit to our design team and, and our early engineering team. Um, 
we've built a product that is incredibly simple to use, incredibly simple to install. And to a point that people um, are confused and expect more, they, they install, we, we've, I think we joked a couple weeks ago on Twitter, we were like, should we add some puzzles to the end? I really like puzzles. Should we add some puzzles to the end of the onboarding flow? Like are people bored? They need something else to do when they get there. Um, we, we get a lot of, you know, tweets or comments that, you know, like, oh, I set up the morning to set aside my morning to install Tailscale. And now it's 9.30 a.m. and the kids are at the park and I don't know what to do with myself. Like the people don't quite expect the onboarding flow. They're so, they're so, um, uh, what's the right word here? Yeah, um, I mean, we're, we're very we're annoyed very, with years of networking. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We're, we're used to, this is going to be a lot of steps and, and maybe I'll get to take all the defaults and that'll still be 10 clicks, but yeah, yeah. It, it should usually take a while. Right. For sure. And then, and then you sort of asked another question, which was like, are we getting away from VPNs and why is Tailscale VPN? Um, that's an interesting one. I think there's, there's this trend towards, you know, the capital Z, capital T, zero trust and, and what that means. But that's not inherently anti-VPN. What it's really about is not trusting the network that you're on. And so Tailscale being an end-to-end encrypted solution um, uses WireGuard, it, it, it does fit in that category, even though it is, you know, technically a VPN. Yeah, and that's the that is the one of the joys of our of our industry is that anytime something newer comes along, the first thing everybody wants to do is go, well, how is it like something I already know, so I don't have to learn a right. bunch of new stuff. Right. And, and so, yeah, you've 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 fallen into the, you know, it's interesting. You sort of call it a, a private mesh. Um, people would go, oh, are you are you are you a service mesh? Are you a thing? And there's probably characteristics of it that are a little bit like what a service mesh does in terms of MTLS and not trusting things and. Um, but yeah, you're right. It, it also, it does other stuff. Um, so for folks who, you know, maybe aren't familiar with WireGuard or are going, okay, um, this is interesting. Like, tell me more, help me peel back the onion a little bit. Like what's, what's under the covers, what makes, um, what makes it a so powerful, but also, and then, you know, like, why are you able to make it so much easier than maybe things they've experienced in the past? Yeah, I, I think WireGuard's already a huge improvement in terms of security and usability for um, encrypted connections. So, so WireGuard is a, a protocol that lets you, um, like I just said, establish an encrypted connection, uses modern uh, cryptography, uh, not like too modern, not like sketchy and, you know, groundbreaking, but like moder- modern cryptography that's well-reviewed, that's well-understood. Um, it's a fairly simple protocol um you know only you know only a couple thousand lines of code so it can be audited it has some really nice security properties around um privacy around the encryption being used all that kind of stuff the uh, wireguard is is so well regarded in some sense that it's been um added to the linux kernel as of i think three or four years ago it's now it's now part of the kernel so you can do kernel encryption between devices um so it's this it's this it's just a new way of communicating between two devices in a secure way yeah. um, where it's becoming, it's becoming a standard, it's becoming a default. Uh, and so if you're only connecting between two devices, you can set up the keys on both devices. Um, each device generates its own uh, key pair, gives the public key to the other device, and now they can communicate. What Tailscale does is, to my earlier point, helps you set up a mesh. So if you have lots of devices that need to exchange public keys, um, if you have lots of different users that have devices that they want to exchange public keys for, um, Tailscale gives you a way to tie that back to an identity 
so you can like sign in with your like your your Google account and then say okay this is my device and then we we know that you're tied to that device and you're that's that's your identity and we do the key distribution and public key distribution for you. So if I wanted to connect my laptop to my phone, um, I don't have to figure out how to get the public keys between the two of them. Tailscale will do that for me. Okay, and that's is that sort of inherently built into the software? When you say Tailscale does that for you, is that inherently built into the software? Is that a SaaS service? Like, we're, we're, are we getting away yeah. from the idea of like I have something like Vault or you know something else, CyberArk that kind of keeps track of keys for me or you know identity? Yeah, it is a SaaS service. Okay. So um, if you think about Telescale has three components and really two, two of them are really critical. One is a client that runs on your device. So there's a, a Mac OS client, Linux, Windows, uh, Synology, uh, Android, iOS, et cetera. It has a control plane. That's the, the SaaS component, which helps you distribute public keys effectively. And any changes to configuration you make pushes those to your devices. And then um, that's only used for the, the, the control plane of, of what's actually going on, but your actual data doesn't go through that control plane. Okay. Uh, your encrypted data never goes to that control plane, right? Your encrypted data goes peer-to-peer between devices. Sometimes they can't establish a direct connection. And in that case, we have a set of relay servers that we also run that help you connect those devices together. Okay. And that's and that's where it gets into, like you mentioned, you know, you're you're not a... Uh, you're not a sort of an ISP bypass sort of VPN. You're not you're not trying to be in the middle of of seeing things for various inspections. Not at all. Reasons. You're, um, and I, I assume that also comes into play when you know it's a, it's important to sort of highlight where the control plane is versus where the endpoints are. Because at some point, if the service is unavailable, which you know things periodically happen, DNS gets mm-hmm. weird, whatever you're still able to connect to things. You're probably just not able to connect to something new because again, you're not going to get, you're not going to find exactly. things, right? So you've, you've exactly nailed it. So like if we were down, you would not be able to add devices and not be able to change your existing policies, but all your existing um, connections, all your existing devices would still be able to connect. Right. Now, what does that mean? So you're, you're building these meshes. Um, I mean, at some point, you know, if I'm if I'm a developer, you know, you mentioned sort of developers love this, and at some point, who who has to care about keeping track of these meshes? So, like for example, if I'm if I'm a developer and I have to, you know, access, you know, maybe I don't know, fifty or eighty or a hundred things or whatever, like, do I have to be caring about oh, this thing's getting bigger? It's going to become more of a hassle for me. Does this at some point sort of offload? Does like some sort of IT platform function? Like, at what point? Am I like, this is cool because it's a couple of things versus like, oh, it's getting bigger. I don't want to deal with that. Yeah. I think, I think you're asking two questions again. <laughs> so one of them is like, how do we see TailScale get adopted and how, to, how does it grow in terms yeah. of adoption? Um, and it is typically, you know, one team that adopts it first at a, at a company. Um, at home, people adopt it for their home lab. Um, so at a company, it might be the a development team or a DevOps team, et cetera, that op- adopts Tailscale first. And then some other problem comes along and they're like, wait a second, a Tailscale can solve that too. And so they they try to then, you know, have another team adopt it or use it for another use case as well. Um, and then it's typically handled by the infrastructure, infrastructure security, DevOps, you know, so, so some of these teams, again, depending who's, who exactly is using it at a company. Um, I think the second question you're asking is like, do I care that I have lots of devices? And you shouldn't. Um, it's it's a fairly performant um, piece of software. 
where where having lots of devices starts to matter is if you have very permissive um, access controls. So access controls in Tailscale are defined in a as code. You you have a you have a huge JSON file that that you can manage in our in our SAS, SAS um, landing page, and you can um, configure. Uh, basically write code for saying, you know, this device or this host or this user or this group or whatever is allowed to access this type of device or this specific device, et cetera. And um, these apples are default denied, right? That's that's a good security best practice. Unless you yeah. say something should explicitly be allowed, it's not allowed. So if you've been, if you've written a very permissive set of apples and your company, you know, adopts Tailscale for thousands of users, um, then you will have thousands of devices that you can access on your network. And that can be a little bit overwhelming when you're trying to find a specific device or whatever it happens to be. Uh, but that's not what we see in practice. What we see in practice is people, you know, at that scale, writing appropriate ACLs and, you know, segmenting their network down to, to what people actually need access to, which is, if you think about it, the goal of them adopting this kind of solution in the first place. So that, so that makes sense. That's what you'd expect to see. Right. And and what are the what are the typical you know, either like starting use cases or, or evolving use cases? Are they, are they people who just say, look, um, you know, I want to, I want to sort of know who, you know, I, I want to be able to authenticate who everybody else is or certain things, you know, between A and B or A, B and C, and then I want to encrypt that. Or does it, you know, is it typically evolve very quickly into, you know, only this device to this port for this thing? Like what's the, what's the kind of, what do you find is the typical, kind of adoption pattern? Um, it's typically more around like business functions. Like I only want my um, SRE team to be able to access prod devices. Um, okay. I see I see people people also writing like write, writing ACLs around ports and specific things, but that's usually adopting to whatever specific model they have internally already. It's not necessarily as generic across, across company. Okay, gotcha. Um, you know, you mentioned uh, it, you know, you, you download it, it runs across what feels like a, a lot of different operating systems from phones to Windows to Linux. How, what happens when somebody says, hey, um, you know, this this needs to potentially interact with uh, networking devices that we, you know, like is, do you just sort of bypass the network? Do you overlay the network or like, is there a thing that this will eventually be, I don't know, a client on a Cisco device or a Juniper device or something like that? Yeah, right now, so um, we have a really good article around NAT traversal. Uh, and so if we're, if we're dealing with particularly difficult the firewalls or NAT, um, we explain how, how, we do, how we do NAT traversal and how that works. Uh, typically, it does not run right now on a, on a firewall or something like that. We have some instructions uh, that we've documented on how to make it work with the most common firewalls. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Um, I, c- I could see in the future what you're what you're describing though, which is like it should run on you know PFSense or whatever it happens to be or OpenSense or et cetera, and it should be it should be usable directly from from that firewall. And I should be able to use my firewall as a, as a gateway into my network. Um, but that's that's not as I, I'm sure people have it working, but it's not as common today. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I think part of that that question probably comes from me having this mindset of going, oh VPNs, if VPNs, the the term VPNs, the bucket VPNs traditionally has been you know, network devices and, and remote access. And right. you know, I think, th- I think the shift is, I have to think about this more as, um, you know, secure access to resources as opposed to, to networks and, and so forth. It's probably a better way to think about it. At least it, it aligns better to, you know, why, why you've built what you've built and what people are trying to do with it. Yep. Um, what, uh, what, like, 
you know, a lot of times people go, okay, it sounds cool. Uh, you know, people, people love this for, for personal. So like, what are some of the outcomes that, that, that you see when, when people talk about, Hey, we've had this in, in production for X number of months and so forth. Like, how do they talk about it in terms of it, it changing the business, it, it changing the way that they, they operate day to day? What are some of the things, what are some of the ways that, that you hear, you know, companies, users, developers talking about it? Honestly, it's mostly the, you know, development infra, whatever team talking about adoption and like user experience and how happy their users are like oh people used to always complain about our old cpn or how it was slow or how it was hard to configure or how it didn't work and wow we have so many fewer complaints we have so many fewer tickets we have so many like fewer things to deal with that's that's what we hear more more than and um i think more than anything else like it, people then realize like i like i said earlier like oh it also works for this use case and it also works for that use case and they start rolling out at, at more of their more of their company but the the real joy comes from the user experience yeah it's just it's just lack of grief and lack of lack of friction yeah that's cool yeah um yeah no that that's good um i want to be conscious of your time uh you know one of the things i thought was really interesting is i was digging through the website like i can just i can just uh sort of pull up my camera and look at a qr code and boom i get the software like it's you you have very much thought through the whole frictionless process which was which was very nice um what's what's the best way for folks who are interested in learning more about this want to dig into it like what are some of the kind of the best resources that you typically um you know point people to to get them started to learn more uh, all those sort of things yeah uh well obviously i'm going to say you should go to tailscale.com and download it uh, but there's also a, a great blog post that we have called How Tailscale Works that kind of steps through some of the control plane, the the relay servers, et cetera, that I briefly mentioned earlier and how that all connects. Um, we've, myself and our CTO gave a talk at Besides SF on how WireGuard works and how WireGuard works in the ground up. So if that's a protocol you're excited about and want to learn more about, there's a there's a good talk on YouTube about that. Um yeah, and and I'd say we're very active on Twitter. Uh, our we have a lot of strong personalities at our company, which is a good thing. So if you yeah. if you have any questions, uh, well, I mean, one check check out what people are saying, but don't afraid to to add mention us, and and somebody will likely jump in and reply and, and give you some help. Yeah. Hey, one last question. Now that I'm thinking about it, uh, before I let you go, and and again, thank you so much for the time. Um, a lot of times, as you get into security conversations, uh, it, it's you know, it sort of goes through a checklist and then somebody will say, well, what about, uh, you know, government environments or, um, you know, PCI, uh, you know, sort of the security plus plus stuff. Um, is this applicable? Does it, does it work in those spaces? Is it allowed in those types of spaces? Um, does that, does that conversation come up quite a bit? Some of it applies and some of it doesn't. So something like PCI is actually pretty interesting. So obviously if you, if you are paying us for a plan, um, then we have some of your credit card data. We use Stripe, so Stripe is is PCI certified. Mm-hmm. But we don't we don't store any customer data. We only have metadata. We, we know that your device is connected to each other. We don't know what the what the actual content of the messages that you sent were. So you can use it as part of a PCI compliant system. Uh, but since we don't actually have any cardholder data, uh, we we don't need to be PCI compliant. Um, something similar also applies for for HIPAA, um, except you know there's also BAAs and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, and then Tailscale is uh, is already SOC two compliant, so we've already worked on that and have you know a lot of that information available for for our customers. Okay. 
Very cool. Good stuff. Maya, thank you so much for, for the time this morning and, and for uh, you know giving us some insight. Um, folks, we will put in the show notes um, links to a number of the things that, that Maya mentioned in terms of ways to get in touch, ways to learn more about it, some of the good talks and, and some of those papers. And so uh, we will put that in there. So Maya, thank you so much for the time. We really appreciate it. Uh, folks, uh, as always, thank you for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Thanks for helping us grow the community and Hope everybody is uh, staying cool. I know it's super hot in a lot of places these days. So with that, we'll wrap it up and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media.